if we approach marriage God's way and we think about it God's way and we accept what He has intended and submit to what He has intended, not only will we agree on the priority of its continuity and its protection and its sanctity, we'll actually see that what God has intended does have both functional fulfillment and emotional fulfillment. But it has to work God's way. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. We have been studying the application of chapters 1 through 3, the Gospel Foundation the peaks of New Testament doctrine, and now we are, as we have said multiple times, on the journey home, so to speak. Now we are walking with all of the doctrine of chapters 1 through 3, the gospel doctrine that is oriented and completed in Christ. We are now living out who we are in Christ. And so, Chapters 4 through 6 deal with varying topics, practical topics. We have discussed bitterness and anger and forgiveness. Chapter 5, the first part of chapter 5, we dedicated several weeks to discussing biblical purity. Very important discussion. And I know I accidentally use universals more than I mean to. You know, I have a favorite message and a favorite passage that changes all the time. I'm aware of that, but um, I mean this. I, the, the, the kind of mini-series that we're doing over the next few weeks, um, it's either, you know, it's either family matters, you know, like matters of the family, or it's family matters, right, depending on how you take it. I mean both of them might be the most important individual topical mini-series that we will address in the book. And I think that there are more important topics than this one that we discuss doctrinally because you understand it's the doctrine that allows us to really have a foundation for biblical family. But over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss the family. And we'll begin that this morning. Paul uses this admonition to submission in chapter 5 and verse 20, 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He uses this statement to really launch this series on, or this, this categorization of submission and the first Outlets and applications that he gives for submission is within the context of the family. And I'm not sure if there's any more 
attacked and denigrated biblical institution in today's culture than the biblical institution of the family. And so we're going to park here for the next few weeks and discuss this. Let's read our text. I'm going to begin in verse 21, and we're going to read down to verse 24 of chapter 5. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so as I mentioned, we will discuss the institution of the family. We have to discuss the founding institution of the family, which is the institution of marriage. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to give our time in the Sunday morning sermon to the context and the concept of marriage. And this morning, ladies, we get to begin with you. One of the things that my wife and I do every spring is we have a day that is, according to her, a great day. And according to me, a, gray of, a day of great dread. It is cleaning out the garage. And one of the reasons, you know, it's, it's a dreaded day is because I don't keep up with the garage like I should. So most of the mess is me cleaning up what I should have been doing throughout the entirety of winter. You know, summer comes and I do a better job because things have to have its place because, you know, you're using the outside tools. And, and in, you know, we live in Elkhart, so eight months out of the year, you only need a snow shovel. So, you know, and the garage just ends up, you know, things get taken out and, and when you run out of room for something in the house, it either goes to the, the shed, which is dirty, or the garage, you know, which is also dirty, but you put it there anyway. And, uh, and so, you know, the, cleaning up the garage, it always feels so good, but my wife and I have very different philosophies of garage cleaning. My philosophy of garage cleaning is if I cannot justify keeping something, or if I know neither one of us have used it in approximately six months, we're getting rid of it. Because it just helps, you know? It helps with speeding up cleaning the garage. I know we haven't, the, the men are all nodding their heads. I know we haven't used it, and if we needed it, we'd use it, right? So, chuck it. And... You know, there's, for my wife, not only the possibility that we'll need it in the next decade, it's probably garnered some sort of sentimental value. You know, the kids used it that one time, and, and they, you know, they, they dug a hole in the yard, and they, you know, yeah, I know, I had to fill it back in, right? But, but you know, it's cute because they like to use it. Well, they used it once, right? And, and my philosophy of cleaning the garage, and truthfully, everything else, is if I can't justify it, and my, my justification for keeping it is very small, admittedly, then I'm getting rid of it. And this is exactly how the modern unbeliever thinks about marriage. 
dispensable. If I, can't, if I can't get my functional worth out of it, and if it doesn't bring me some sort of emotional sentiment, then we'll get rid of it and we'll buy a better one. Absolutely replaceable. And I would like to say this is just unbelievers. But I have had people say to me on more than one occasion, God wants me to be happy, right? Well, okay, let's talk about that. But since God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy in my marriage, then I can get a divorce, right? I can just get a divorce because I'm not happy. Because God wants me to be happy. I'm not. Marriage today is absolutely dispensable. And this morning, I want to show you that even as we begin just to talk about the honor of the wife, the beauty of the wife, that if we, if we approach marriage God's way and we think about it God's way, and we accept what He has intended and submit to what He has intended. Not only will we agree on the priority of its continuity and its protection and its sanctity, we will actually see that what God has intended does have both functional fulfillment and emotional fulfillment. But it has to work God's way. And so we're going to discuss that over the next several weeks. And gentlemen, we're going to get to you, okay? This is just the best way to really work through the passage. And, and actually, men, we're going to spend more time on us than, than we do on the ladies. And I think it should be that way, okay? I think it should be that way. But this morning, ladies... Everybody, we're going to talk about God's intention for a healthy marriage and where you as a lady fit into that. This morning, I want to show you from the text that the spirit-filled submission of a wife models honor and administers health. The spirit-filled submission of a wife models honor and administers health. Let's pray and we'll begin to work through this passage together. Father, I ask for help now as we study the Word. I ask that you would give grace and wisdom. I ask that you would help me to know the best way to say things with clarity and with boldness. I ask that this would be a time of clarification, it would be a time of encouragement. It would be a time of renewal that you would do what you do through your word and that's transform people for your service, for your glory. And so I ask now both for the preacher and for the listener that there'd be a humility before the word and that we would recognize that how we receive texts like this and concepts like this is Ultimately, ultimately a matter of obedience and how we view you in the Bible. 
And so I ask that you would give grace. And I ask these things through Christ. Amen. So we will address the wife and the concept of submission in verses 22 down to verse 24. But I want to, I want to lead up to that just a little more specifically. And so I want to start in verses 18 and verse 21 and give some, some general parameters for the whole of marriage. And so we're going to address, address the wife specifically in just a few moments, but I want to give some stipulations for spouses in general, some things that apply to both the man and the woman, because actually the context of verses 18 and 21 lead, lead us into this concept of a family and this concept of marriage. And so the first stipulation that we have within the context of a marriage, again, these are true of both the husband and the wife, is that we're supposed to have our source of control in the Spirit, or we're supposed to live in submission to God's Spirit. So the first stipulation for spouses is the source of the Spirit. We discussed this last week as we talked about what the Spirit does in our lives. If you look with me, at verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember I said in verse 18 that actually the emphasis of verse 18 is not the command not to drink wine. That is a, that is a command, it's a, com- or it's a command not to get drunk, excuse me. So the, co- the weight of verse 18 is not the command not to get drunk, but actually the principle that nothing else should be controlling your life. And if you're drunk, something else is controlling you. So the weight and the primary uh, meaning of verse 18 is not so much just don't get drunk as much as don't be controlled by anything other than God's Spirit. And this manifests itself, this Spirit-filled control manifests itself immediately in some things that Paul mentions in verse 19, and we talked about this last week. Uh, The addressing of the singing and the giving of thanks. And then in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So an immediate fruit of spirit control is submission. Now, in verse 21, the context is the entirety of the church. This is not gender-specific. You, within the context of the church, should be resigning your rights. And so some stipulations for spouses, then, that set up the context of verses 22 to 33, which is this portion on marriage, the context gives us the idea that we're supposed to be submitting to God's Spirit and resigning our rights, verse 21, the idea of submission. And this concept of submission actually is going to be pervasive, is the, is the, is the overarching principle for the entirety of verses 22 of chapter 5 down to verse 6, chapter 9. Because Paul gives multiple contexts for submission. Submission in marriage, submission in parenting, and submission in the slave and master relationship. Or at least, I should say, the resigning of rights. Because Paul doesn't use the same word for for wives as he does for children and slaves, and understandably so. 
So understanding that these stipulations set up the context, we need to understand a few things about marriage. And the first thing that we need to understand about marriage is that fundamentally you're not to be controlled by anything except God's Spirit. That is, you're not to be controlled by bitterness, you're not to be controlled by anger, you're not not to be controlled by that thing that you haven't let go of that happened two weeks ago. You're not to be controlled by anything except God's Spirit. Because this submission to the Spirit frames this text on marriage. And secondly, there's to be a culture of submission, the resignation of rights. Giving of self. Placing yourself under. You say, well, I thought that was just for the woman. It is for, her woman. It is for the woman as the role. But there are, of course, times in the marriage when the resignation of rights is required of each spouse. So it's very important that we understand, it's very important that we understand these two stipulations because we really don't get the faithful follower that is the wife and the loving leader that is the husband in verses 22 to 33 if we don't understand that we're supposed to be controlled by the Spirit and have a culture of resigning rights. And so, husbands, wives, let me just ask you this morning, what controls you in your marriage? Is it your attitude? Is it your circumstance? Is it your emotions? Is it your lust? Is it your discontentment? Or is it God's Spirit? So that actually you're perpetuating peace and fulfillment in your marriage because you're controlled by the right thing or person. Having understood these ideas... That a proper marriage is founded, is controlled by God's Spirit, and maintains a culture of resigning rights. Note what Paul says in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so we first look together at some stipulations for spouses, control of the Spirit, and the resignation of rights. Now let's look at what this looks like within the context of the marriage itself, husbands and wives. Paul begins with the wife, and you note he gives much more weight of responsibility, even in data of verses, to the husband in verses 25 to 33. And we will get to the husband. But I should say this before we even get going, because I want... want, Husbands, I want you to hear this a certain way this morning. And wives, I want you to have a certain reassurance this morning. These work in a complementary fashion. In other words, the beauty and fulfillment, both the functional fulfillment and the emotional fulfillment of a marriage is achieved when the man is leading and doing what he should be doing so that it is an honor for the wife to do what she's required to do. In other words, I should be such a lover of my wife that she delights in following me. And when I say it that way, which is a clear implication of the Scriptures, you begin to see the trouble and why marriage can get difficult. 
So let's look in verses 22 to 24 with that, that, that principle in your mind that these are supposed to be done in tandem. Let's look at the honor of the helper, the honor of the helper. Now we should note in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands, that, that the word submit actually isn't in the original language in verse 22. Now wives, don't say amen too quickly. Okay, because the, the, the language actually reads like this, verse 22, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. You say, well, what is he talking about? He's maintaining the idea from verse 21. Wives to your own husbands, what? Verse 21, submit. So wives submit to the Lord, submit as we're guided by verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, verse 21, verse 22, wives to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands." I want to talk about this word submit for just a moment here within the, within the idea and the parameter of marriage. This word submit is a functional word. It is not an essential word. You say, what does that mean? Paul is calling the woman to submit in function, not in nature. In other words, she is not lesser than the man. This is an active Role. It is not a, an explanation of her character. She does not submit to the man because man is greater. And those of us who are married and love our wives and know our wives know that. But what happens when this verse gets read and when verses like this from the Bible get read is people begin to think, well, why do I need to do that? Does that make me lesser? And the word itself actually refutes that very idea. This is a functional word. It is the willing placing under, the willing act of placing under authority. And authority in this context is not because of superiority but because of God's created intention. You say, well, I do not like that. I understand. Let me just help you, ladies, if you're struggling with this. And men, let me remind you, if you're beginning to get a big head and think that your wife should do things for you just because you're you, that this model is actually in the founding institution of all institutions. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Question. Is God the Father greater in essence than God the Son? No. He is not. Is God the Son greater in essence, in other words, value, than God the Spirit? No. But are they incomplete? equality yes and do they fulfill different roles yes and does Christ the son in perfect union 
and value as his father submit to his father? Yes. For the Son, Jesus, we had it read for us earlier, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus did not feel entitled to his deity. But he counted himself as no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as men, he humbled himself, became obedient to death. Obedient to who? You or me, the sinner? No, obedient to the Father. So yes, Jesus submitted to God. Submission does not mean inferiority. And do not allow the culture, ladies, to tell you that it does. And men do not operate in the treatment of your wife like you are superior, so you are Setting up your wife to fail in her following. This act of submission is honorable as Christ is submissive to his Father. It is a functional word, not a word of value. You say, well, I still don't like this concept. You say, well, I'm fine with it. Why do you keep apologizing for it? And when I say apologizing, I don't mean like I'm sorry about it. I mean defending it. And the reason I keep defending it is because it's so counterintuitive to culture today. We live in the most self-liberated culture that America has ever seen. I say America because, I mean, study ancient cultures. But America is more self-liberated now than it's ever been. My individual autonomy, my rights as a person are superior just because I have them, and I am me, and I want them, and you can't tell me otherwise. That's the world that we live in. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, who's in charge in your life? Do you want life your way, or do you want life God's way? That's ultimately what this is. This is a matter of biblical sufficiency and biblical authority. And what could you possibly think would bring you more pleasure and fulfillment and structure and order and peace in your life than the God who sent His own Son to die to give you eternity and forgiveness for your sins? How could you form a better life for yourself than that God? But what begins to happen is people begin to buy the lie that they get what they want just because they want it. They are their own person. And marriage takes away my individuality. And those of you who have enjoyed a healthy marriage can tell those who feel that way. It actually just makes you better in every way. Because God designed uniformity, oneness. God, you realize God never intended individuality. You realize God never intended individuality in humanity. Why? Because it's not his nature. God enjoys fellowship in himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he always has from eternity past. God has never intended individuality. 
when he made man, what was the problem? Well, man needs a woman. And, and, and because that completes the man. Literally, it completes the man, not just romantically. It's not good that man is alone. So he provides woman and he completes the man. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply. Why? Have family. Because he didn't intend it individuality. And then when he made the covenants with God's people, what he tell them, I'll give you land and I'll make you a people. Why? Because he never intended individuality. And then when Christ forms his ministry, he establishes 12. Why? Because he never intended individuality. And then those 12 become... 11, because the one, you know, Judas, and the, the other 11 become the apostles, and those apostles become leaders of the church. Why the church? Because he's never intended individuality. And we live in a culture that says, don't let anyone take your individuality. God's way is best. And what God has provided in marriage is best. So wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. So this is the aspect of authority that we note. Now, there's a problem, and it's an ancient one. It actually goes all the way back to the very beginning. And this, this is why it's difficult, even if a husband was to be leading well and loving well and doing what he's supposed to be doing, there's a difficulty to this. It's actually a natural difficulty in sin because when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, which, by the way, Paul pins that on Adam by one man's sin, sin of the world. So Eve ate first, but the man failed to lead. And then in the curse, what does God say to Eve? God says, your desire shall be for your husband, literally the language is to rule over, to be over your husband. And so the, the, the tension between a, a man's leading and a wife's submission is actually an immediate result of the fall. And so this is not a new thing. But I do want to note one more word before we get specifically to the instruction that Paul has for the wife. Wives, submit to your, what's the next word? own husbands. This word maintains two implications in the context. One, it is the implication of affection or possession. There is the concept here of intimacy. Your own, your special, your unique. It's romantic language. Your own husband. But it also has an aspect that we've already talked about. It, it, it means that the relationship is exclusive between husband and wife. And the, the wife's submission to her husband's authority is unique to that marriage. Therefore, that woman is not under the authority of men in general. In other words, men aren't an authoritative gender. Inherently except what God has provided for authority within specific institutions, marriage, the church. 
You are not, ladies, responsible to submit or obey or whatever another man in the church just because he's a man or another, per, another man in general just because he's a man. You are responsible and accountable to the man that God has made your own. Paul is speaking this way in contrast to this time and culture, which was massively male-dominated. Women were ob- objects, and it was even worse for children. When Peter says in 1 Peter 3, he says, wives be subject to your husband's submission. It's a very similar word. It's actually the same word, just a different application of it. Be subject to your husband's. And then, and then later when he tells the husbands, husbands love your wives, dwell with them in an understanding way, giving honor to them as the weaker vessel. It's a, it's a call to protection. Why? Because at this time in culture, women were not protected. People read these passages and they think that that women are put down, but the apostles are advocating for the women. So it is necessary to note two aspects of the wife's submission. First of all, in verse 22, the wife's submission or the willing subjecting of her rights and authority to the man honors the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. A wife's submission, listen, is not a male contrivance or an imposed power dynamic, to use, if you want to use the cultural term that they're using. It is the wisdom of God to display oneness in a loving man and a following wife. Wives, submit to your own husbands as why? To the Lord. In other words, if you're refusing to submit to your husband, you're not submitting to the Lord. You say, well, what if my husband is not in submission to the Lord? Then let me just say this, and this is the best way for me to say it in this context. I cannot answer every situation right now. Ask the church for help. That's the, I cannot speak to every situation. It's impossible. Ask the church for help. God has provided the church as a layer of accountability and protection for His people. Ladies, if your husband is abusing you, Tell the church, please, please. There's no place for that in a home that professes to be godly. It's what we're here for, to purify sin. Ask the church for help, you will be honored. You will be thanked. It is our desire to aid families. And if you are in a situation where the man is so in rebellion to God that it is a danger to you, ask the church for help. Now, if the situation is not like that and you are simply having a hard time liking or listening to your husband, that's called struggling in marriage. 
So gentlemen, lead better. You say, I thought you were talking about the men today. You can't talk about them separately, really. Love better so that it is a delight for your wife to follow. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Ask the church for help. Because let me just say this about Grace Bible Church. We are overflowing with godly men. And I cannot tell you what a rare privilege that is for a church. We have men in our congregation who would delight to show you the way of leading your family the way that God has showed them. Not perfectly, but can help you so that it is a delight for your wife to follow. It honors the Lord. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You say, well, what does it do for the marriage? It helps in the health of the marriage. It helps in the health of the marriage. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body. This has already been established. Uh, Paul said this about Jesus back in Ephesians chapter 3. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. What, where does the head function? A head functions in a body, and it's one body. So the imagery that Paul is using is oneness and health and unity. And as Christ is the authority of the church, the operating agent of the church, the head, so the husband is the authority, the leading aspect of the marriage. And you as the wife in your following and in your submission and your resignation of rights to His authority, manifest the glorious union that Christ maintains with His church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You say, well, what does everything mean? Everything that pleases Christ. Because if the husband is following Jesus, he's not going to lead his wife astray. It's a perfectly self-perpetuating design. A healthy marriage operates like a healthy body. When when everything does what it's supposed to do. And it grows in health. And so when the man leads as he should, not perfectly, because, man, you know we're not perfect. And when the wife follows as she should, not perfectly, because it's hard, it contributes health. It's a healing agent. I know for a fact one thing about most of your marriages. Most of your wives are better, or most of you wives are better at making your husband go to the doctor than the husband is going to go himself. Right? I mean, I need my wife to make me go to the doctor because I'm not going to if she doesn't. I do not instinctively take vitamins, take care of myself, my wife. I'm to her men's frustration helps take care of me physically. But what about the spiritual health of your marriage, ladies? 
Do you have an awareness to your oneness? Are you contributing health to your marriage? Or is it possible that you are actually perpetuating infection due to resistance, the desire for independence? And not only in refusing to be submission to your husband, but by extension, of course, rebelling against submission to Christ Himself. I didn't say it was easy. I've been a husband. I'm still a husband. I know I'm a stupid husband sometimes. (laughs) Someone said me too. (laughs) I have had to ask really big things of my wife. You know what I've found, though? I've found that the most instrumental, biggest moments of our life, that submission actually came easier to my wife. We prayed together, we sought the Lord together, and she followed me at difficult times. It's the daily failures as a husband that make it really difficult for my wife when she has to tell me the same thing a thousand times. Which, you know, I swear, she never told me that, right? It's the small selfishness. Small. It's the testing of patience. It's called living life as a sinner. So what do we do with that? We can submit to God's control the Spirit's control so that when I lead as I should and she follows as I should, we're growing in health as one body. The ancient preacher John Chrysostom said, for there is nothing which so welds our life together as the love of a man and wife. For this many will even lay aside their arms. They will give up life itself And Paul would never, without a reason, without an an object, have spent so much pains in the subject as when he says here, wives be in subjection to your own husbands as to the Lord. And why so? Because when they are in harmony, the children are, listen, well brought up. And the domestics are in good order. And neighbors and friends and relations enjoy the fragrance. But if it be otherwise... All is turned upside down and thrown into chaos. I say, well, that puts a lot of pressure on me as a wife. Not me. It points out the beauty of your calling. The beauty of your calling the honor that you as a lady can contribute to the marriage, to your husband, to your oneness. Your husband needs you. Your husband needs you 
and he needs you to be a wife God's way. Because you will make him a better husband and you'll contribute to the oneness of your marriage and you'll please Christ. The call to submission as a wife is a glorious calling. Which is why Paul points out this image. As, a ch- as the church, the church submits to Jesus so you have the honor of following your husband. You say, well, Jesus is the perfect husband and mine isn't. That's fair. That's fair. Which is why we grow together after Christ. Wives, let me encourage you that today, as you have this incredible opportunity you have been given to display the beauty and oneness in oneness that God has ordained for Christ and His church, to not listen to the lies of the world that you're just a housewife and you're just staying whatever your whatever your situation in life is. You're just you just got married. You didn't follow whatever. There is no greater calling that for anybody than what God has intended for them. And what God has intended for you, ma'am, is the honor of contributing health to your marriage and reflecting the heart of Jesus Christ in submission. And when this happens, your children get to look at it and they get to be changed by a life. Your husband is its a delight to be home, to come home, to spend time with you, to enjoy you. Nothing that you or the world desires in a marriage will be attained outside what God has intended. So stop listening to it and enjoy what God has designed. Let's pray.